0: Today's reading is from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 5, verses 1 to 20, and can be found on page 1006 in your church Bibles. 1006. Let's just pray. Open the eyes of our hearts, Lord. We want to see you, Jesus, through your word today. Jesus restores a demon-possessed man. They went across the lake to the region of Gerasenes, the Gerasenes. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs and no one could bind him any more, not even with a chain. For he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills he would cry out and cut himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, "'What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the Most High God? "'In God's name, don't torture me!' But Jesus had said to him, "'Come out of this man, you impure spirit.' then jesus had asked him what is your name my name is legion he replied for we are many and he begged jesus again and again not to send them out of it, out of the area a large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside the demons begged jesus send us among the pigs allow us to go into them he gave them permission and the impure spirits came out and went into the pigs The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and the countryside, and the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there, dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told them about the pigs as well. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Jesus did not let him, but said, Go to your own, go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And all the people were amazed. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
1: Thanks for that reading. What a wonderfully encouraging time yesterday uh, with Will Starman uh, pointing us to the joy that we have in Christ, the confidence and hope that we have in him. Uh, From Romans, even amidst our suffering, Uh, and then uh, from uh, just the passage before this where Jesus calms the storm. Uh, And we're going to continue in that now, that we might have a confidence and hope in Jesus, even amidst evil. This is exciting. Let's pray. Uh, Lord God, I pray for us here, and also those uh, at Hope uh, and Bellingdon as well, uh, joining us online we pray, Lord, that your word would be precious to us, that it be sweeter than honey, and Lord, that in this word we would find you speaking to us by your spirit, so that we would know the joy and the comfort of being your people. Uh, Lord, bless us, I pray. Amen. Amen. So yes, a welcome if you're joining us uh, at, uh, up at Hope and at Bennington, uh, praying for you guys up there. It was a joy to be with you uh, yesterday. Uh, wasn't the singing lovely just when the people of God get together the uh, music was great I mean it was that was terrific yesterday but just hearing the people of God sing praises to the Lord uh, from a different congregations, so that is marvelous isn't it uh, and to hear people praying out loud at the end and just to sing amazing grace wonderful time um, but this passage that we come to today kind of feels like the opposite of that. This passage is such a disturbing episode because it brings us face to face with the irrational and inexplicable forces of evil that may inhabit any person. It's one thing to be helpless before the storm as we were yesterday in Mark 4 but to be, or to be helpless before sickness which is coming up and even death we can probably cope with. But here... The aim is that we would see that we are hopeless before evil, but evil is absolutely helpless before Jesus. The Roman Christians, who Mark probably would have had in mind as he wrote this good news account of Jesus, were just starting to encounter serious evil as they were persecuted for their faith. And the aim here is that they would find their confidence and their hope and their ability even to find joy amongst great evil. And that they would find that not in themselves, but in Jesus. We're a bit conflicted, I think, with evil, aren't we, in our culture? Uh, for some of us, we treat evil as though it doesn't exist or it doesn't matter. I don't know what you think about the common depictions of evil. We've got Halloween coming up. You look know, you at the little kid in the Satan's costume maybe horror films or Ouija boards or the sort of satanic worship that seems to pop up every now and then at the summer solstice, the use of satanic imagery in heavy metal bands. I don't know what that conjures up for you. I guess there are a range of responses to these things. Some of us treat them as though they're just harmless fun. Others are wary of making light of evil and are uncomfortable, and others are terrified (coughs) though they may not say it out loud. Still others of us, very sadly, will have experienced evil at the hands of others, maybe even people claiming to be God's people. If that's you today, I am sorry. And I pray that you wouldn't leave today without speaking about that with someone. Maybe you were the person that perpetrated something evil, and if that's you, can I encourage you to take responsibility for that? in the confidence and hope that Jesus has won forgiveness for you. All of us see and experience evil in this world, and we are horrified by it. We wake up this morning, on Saturday even, to what's going on in the Middle East. We read about terrible acts of savagery committed uh, due to racism. In Black History Month, that's a terrible reality, isn't it? And not all of it is historic, unfortunately. And on a huge scale, we try not to think about the horrors committed in so many wars and conflicts over the world in the last century. Everyone would love evil not to be real, but we don't call it big and bad for nothing. It's a reality we find hard to stomach, harder to explain, especially to explain without Jesus and God. Often you will hear atheists point out or invoke pure evil, in their campaign against an injustice. Uh, How brilliant that God has given us a natural awareness, a sense of evil and the need to fight it, whether you know Jesus or not. But it is totally contradictory to talk about evil in a world that has no God, where only chance and evolution reign. On that understanding, evil is just bad luck. Or evil is simply the strongest rooting out the weakest. Or maybe at its best, evil is just what we say it is, what we don't like. Praise God that such a worldview that evil doesn't exist is too unappealing and too awful to contemplate. And that we have been given that general grace to recognise it and to call it what it is. Most of all, we thank God that though we are helpless before evil, evil is helpless before Jesus. And so Jesus is our confidence and our hope in the face of evil. Demonic forces are real. We've got to be careful not to see them everywhere, but we're careful not to deny them either. And the impure spirits feature quite a bit in the beginning of Mark, don't they? But this sort of demonic possession is very rare. Genesis tells us that the usual way that demonic forces work is with Satan at the beginning, isn't it? How does he work? Well, actually, he plays, he's the evil there, isn't he, behind it all, and he plays upon the sinful hearts of humanity, and humanity willingly followed his lies to great pain and suffering. So the existence of the demonic doesn't mean that we don't have to repent and say sorry to God. That's what Jesus has been calling for in Mark 1, chapter 15, isn't it? Jesus says, uh, John 8, chapter forty-four, uh, verse 44, he says to God's people who are open to hearing about Jesus, but they're not sure, he says, look, you belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is the liar and the father of all lies. That's what happens, isn't it? Demonic forces work in concert with our sinful hearts and if we, either we are in Adam and a child of Satan or we're in Christ and a child of God. It's not black and white is it? You can't pick it out in the world but it's there. Demonic forces are real is what we're learning here and they love to act through sinful hearts to produce the opposite of God's love and life. Evil is real and humanity is a part of that. It's that problem that Mark is rubbing in for us. We are helpless before evil. Can you see that? Have a look with me. Verses 1 to 5. When they went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes, so they're in the Gentiles now, which is exciting because Jesus has taken the gospel to those who aren't Jews. When Jesus got out of a boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills he would cry out and cut himself with stones. Can you see Jesus and disciples meet this man with an impure spirit? And he has this destructive control over this man. And he is powerless before that evil destructive power. And the powerlessness of humanity is emphasised because the local community, they're helpless. In verse 3, they tried to bind him, but they cannot anymore. See, it's got worse. Not even with iron. In verse 4, it's repeated as well, isn't it? Again, he'd often been chained hand and foot. The focus is, is that humans and the chains, creation, cannot bind this force, can they? I was going to get a chain up here and get uh, some really strong bloke. Have we got any strong (laughs) blokes? To try and pull it apart. I I once locked up my bike and lost the key. You know when you drop it down the grate in front of you? And I'm there with a chain. Like I want to break this. I'm trying to pull it up. But it's ridiculous, isn't it? Because I don't have sufficient power to break that. But what we're saying here is that evil is so powerful that actually not even chains can hold this person. He is as helpless as those who are dead. See, that's where he comes from. That's repeated several times, isn't it? A man, from uh, verse 2, he comes where? From the tombs. And he lived, verse 3, in the tombs. Night and day, verse 5, he's in the tombs. Can you see? He's as helpless as someone who's dead, and the destructive power of this evil means that he lives amongst the dead. There's no control on the outside or the inside. No one can get to the impure spirit on the inside. Evil is destructive, isn't it? It's hard to look at this, but do look at the destructive power of evil and recognise it in us. Evil destroys peace. Do you see this aggressive, restless violence? They're trying to bind him. He has to be restrained for his own safety and the safety of his community. It destroys, doesn't it? And it produces worry and terror. We think of that in our own community, don't we? With the worry of women being out late and even being stopped by the police after Sarah Everett. Or our own evil. The things that you might have done that in a moment of peace, you think of them and they just, oh, they make your stomach roll. Evil destroys community and relationship as well. Can you see the isolation of this man? See how alone he is amongst the tombs, the relationship with community severed, only the dead as company. You know, reading read in the papers, uh, the violence against those with gender dysphoria is on the rise. It makes them hide away. It cuts them off, often from their own families. We think of our own evil. Those that we can no longer speak to or be with because of their evil... Or ours. Perhaps those relationships wrecked by something we said or did. But evil is not only isolating, it's also self-destructive. Can you see this bloke? He he cries out amongst the tunes and cuts himself with stones. It's not flourishing in life. It's self-destructive. We recognise that, don't we, in the irrational self-destruction of addiction to substances, whether it's alcohol or pornography or substances, even self-harm. The first step to realising, that, to getting help with that, is realising you can't control it. It's out of your power. You need help. If that's you today, I encourage you to speak to someone about that. Don't think you've got it sorted and you can control it. Even amongst the apparently sorted, the punishing work schedules or the hardcore gym workouts, it's it's self-destructive, isn't it? And in all the chains, I think, here that are applied to him, a reminder, of they're just a powerful pointer, aren't they, to the enslavement of this man to evil. He is totally held in its power. The destructive power of evil is all humanity is helpless before it. And can you see what it makes of this man? Can you see how evil takes us as the image of God and distorts it? We're made to rule. Creation, but this man can't rule himself. We're made for relationship with God, but this man has only got relationship with the dead. We're made for rest, and this man has no peace. We're made for freedom, but this man is enslaved. We're made for joy, but here is self-harm. Evil inflames everything that is antithetical to God, and it distorts his good creation and us His image bearers. Satan is nothing like... Halloween costume. Edmund Burke said the only thing necessary for the triumph of evil is for good men to do nothing. That's a great saying isn't it? It's great because it encourages us to risk evil but it's wrong when we use it to imply that if we just do enough as good people we will get rid of evil. That is not true. We are powerless before evil. For millennia, humanity is trying to eradicate evil in great political and philosophical movements, in crusades, in self-help books, in science and in progress. And far from ending evil, many of those attempts have just resulted in greater evil. Evil is not something we can control or play with. We are helpless before its destructive power, like a child playing with fire in in a stubble field. Proverbs says you can't scoop fire into your lap without getting hurt, without getting burnt. Evil is not out there for our enjoyment or excitement or amusement. It is aggressively destructive, isolating and harmful. It's like swimming in shark-infested waters with a cut. And we've got nothing in the face of it. And that's why we pray in the Lord's Prayer, Lord, deliver us from evil. And here is the good news. We are helpless before evil, but look how helpless evil is before Jesus. Do you see that? Here's the deliverance. Just as the storm was powerless before Jesus' command, so too is evil. evil. So in verse 6, When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell down on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? In God's name, don't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, Come out of this man, you impure spirit. And Jesus asked him, what's your name? My name is Legion. You might as well just say Army. My name is Army, for we are many. And he begged Jesus, and again, not to send him out of the area. And then what happens? Jesus just gives him permission, doesn't he? You know, just like with the quieting of the storm, the effect is just as dramatic with evil. And a word, come out of this man, you impure spirit, as an owner instructing a well-behaved dog, not like my dog, Jesus commands a legion of evil, a whole legion, a whole army. Where humans who are unable to bind, just the sight of Jesus coming makes evil panic and fall on its knees. Where humans can't change and do anything, Jesus just gives permission. Okay, you're going into the pigs. Now the pigs, that's weird, isn't it? What's going on there? But it's there for a very good reason. I think, first of all, Satan is unmasked, For what he's like. Satan is destructive of life. The pigs die. The dark side is not really living. It is destructive. It's the opposite of the life-giving Jesus. And second, there's a hint at the cost of deliverance from evil that we pray for in the Lord's Prayer. It always costs to put things right, doesn't it? If you put a ball through a window, it costs to fix the material. You know, if you break your finger and you have to get an A&E, it costs to to fix your finger like George's had. The cost of spiritual restoration is death. It costs 2,000 animals for one person to be delivered. Then what price the deliverance of Chesham or London or the UK or the world? We know that it'll take the death of the pure and perfect son of God, identified here correctly by the devil, isn't it? Jesus, son of the most high God. It'll take his death, the greatest act of evil to produce the greatest deliverance from evil. And then look at the transformation that that brings. It's just as incredible as the storm is raging and then it's suddenly still. Here is this man suddenly raging and then what is he like? Have a read, verse 15. When they came across, uh, when the people come out of the town to see what was been going on, they came to Jesus and they saw the man who'd been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there dressed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. Formerly a danger to himself and everyone around him with aggressive violence, now safe and sitting at peace at Jesus' feet. Formerly shamefully naked, now clothed, his shame covered. Formerly unashamed in the presence of God, how amazing is that? Formerly irrational and mad, now in his right mind. It's a picture of what banishment of evil is, what it is to become a Christian and to become more and more human as we become more like Jesus as we were designed to be, imaging God no longer distorted, but restored. No longer with the dead, but with God himself. You might be thinking, that's a lovely idea. But actually, isn't evil just still alive and kicking? And you're right, evil is still alive and kicking. You read any news feed today to see that? Evil is alive and kicking, but it's defeated, It's barely alive. There's a bit of fight left. You might use the analogy of the D-Day landings. Once they'd established the beachhead in the Second World War and invaded Europe, it was the beginning of the end, wasn't it? And we're waiting for the final whistle, knowing that the result is absolutely guaranteed because evil is helpless before Jesus. And the point of this passage is to see how helpless evil is before the Son of God, the Most High so that we would be able to endure even in those times when we experience that evil. That's what we want to be doing. So there are a couple of responses here, aren't there, at the end. By the time you get to the end, there are those who are terrified of Jesus. And that's right, isn't it? Because actually he's not the little action figure we carry around in our pockets. He's the person that actually has even more power than this evil that is irresistible for us. And so what's a shame is... The guys who come out and see him, they say, Oh, please, will you go? Why do they do that? The thing is, because they're terrified of the demands that this person could make on them. And they don't want to have that king. But weirdly, that's the opposite of what the man does, doesn't he, who's restored? He clearly loves Jesus. And no wonder. He knows how compassionate. How loving, how restorative the power of Jesus is. He's not afraid of Jesus' power because it's been used to restore him. And so he sits at his feet, no doubt being taught by him. He begs to go with Jesus in verse 18. And instead he's commissioned to go and tell his people how much the Lord has done for you. Can you see that? Verse 19. Go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you. Uh, and how he has had mercy on you. Do you see that? The Lord's power is huge, but it's merciful. And so if you're, if you're uh, someone here today who's not yet sure about Jesus, the appeal is, is what are you afraid of? Of his power? Can you see how it's used mercifully and in love? And if you're a Christian, then you're like this man today. You have the testimony of how he has set you you free from the evil in your heart, from the evil around you and how he keeps you. And you can share that with your own people. Who are your people that you're going to share that with? And if you're somebody who's going to encounter evil, maybe the young guys amongst us, you might not have encountered much evil yet. But when you do, almost to quote Ghostbusters, who are you going to call? Genuinely, in Ghostbusters, the the ghost flying around, and you know, you've got a ghost, who do you call? You call the one people who can fix it, right? When you counter evil in your life, because you will, who will you call? And the answer is Jesus, isn't it? Because no one has power over evil like Jesus. Here's a bloke who knew that. Can we have that slide up, Andrew? He's called um Ola Equiano. He was, he campaigned for the end of slavery. He was himself a slave. He bought his own freedom in about his middle ages um, and he became a Christian. And I love this, he wrote a poem about this. Here's a few verses from it. Well, may I say my life has been one scene of sorrow and of pain. From early days I griefs have known and as I grew my griefs have grown. When taken from my native land by an unjust and cruel hand How did uncommon dread prevail? My sighs no more I could conceal. Yet, here midst blackest uh, sorrow confined, a beam from Christ, the day star shines. Surely thought I, if Jesus please, he can at once sign my release. He died for sinners, I am one. Might not his blood for me atone? Though I am nothing else but sin, yet surely he can make me clean. Because he's got power over all evil. That's a guy that experienced extraordinary evil and yet saw the one person he needed to turn to to sort it out, both out there and in his own heart, was Jesus. He was his confidence and his joy, his day star. That's what I pray we would be like. And that we would share that with one another. So here's your question for over coffee. What would you like to share with your people about how much Jesus has done for you? What would you like to share with your people how much Jesus has done for you? Let's close with a prayer and a song. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this reminder, Lord. Though some of us here will have experienced and be experiencing and worrying about very great evil... Lord evil is helpless before you and we pray Lord you'd be our confidence and our joy and our hope when we do encounter evil and we pray Lord that our hearts would be filled with testimony of how much you've done for us your power and your mercy and that we might love to share that with one another and those Lord who are yet to know you. Amen.